I would like to read with you one of the most solemn portions in all the Bible. Maybe I can tell you, before I go very far, just why I'm reading it. I want to read in Revelation chapter 20, and I'm going to begin to read at verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20. And I saw, John is telling of what he actually experienced. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever... That blessed word that's found in John 3.16, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Here it is in one of the most solemn verses in all the Bible. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Cartoonists often picture a strange kind of a man with a sandwich board and perhaps words on the board that say the world is coming to an end. Is that real? Is the world going to end? I can't tell you when it's going to end, but I can tell you how. What we have read tonight in Revelation chapter 20 is the very last event that ever takes place in time. It actually tells us of the supreme court of the universe and how the world will end. Are you interested? Would you like to really know how this world will end? Well, it will flee from the face of the one who sits upon that great white throne of judgment. We have read that from his face the earth and the heaven flee away. Now, I have some very plain solemn things to preach. I hope I can preach them with compassion, with tenderness, with a true love for your precious soul. For God loves you. Loves you with infinite love. A love that was proven in the agony of the Savior as He hung nailed, thorn-crowned, bleeding, bruised, and marred on the cross at Calvary. So let me tell you, if I can, of a great white throne. You know, we live in a day when our world describes so many things as being great. And uh, many of the things that are great or greater or greatest are not great at all. I can tell you when God says something is great, it is genuine. This is the final assize. This is the final court. And beyond this court, there is no appeal. So, this is truly great because of the one who sits on it, because of souls who are called to stand before it, and because of the sentence that will be given from it. I said when I read the passage, I was going to tell you 
why it is important to me to read this tonight. If the Lord spares me until next Friday, and April the 1st in 1938 was on a Friday night, and on a Friday night here in the city of Toronto, I sat in a meeting like this. Mr. Sam McEwen had been preaching for six weeks. It was the final night of those meetings. And as an unsaved boy, I sat near the back of that auditorium and I heard a man rise to his feet and read so solemnly with such deep feeling these words, and whosoever, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If ever I knew it before, I assure you I knew it that night. I didn't have an argument. I didn't have an excuse. I didn't have a way of escape. I sat in that meeting and the man beside me who told me this many years later said he felt the seat shaking as a boy beside him trembled. I was going to hell. It was very real to me because just a few months before, I had stood by an open casket. My brother, only 19, had been injured in a rugby game and his body lay in our living room. And I stood there on that night after the friends and family had left. I stood alone by that casket and looked into the face of my dead brother. And this is what came home to me with tremendous power. Harry is in heaven. He was saved just about three months before his death. Harry is in heaven. If I were in a casket like that, my soul would be in hell. Oh, how real that is. How genuine. I trust in the meeting tonight you understand what I'm saying. There may be people here to whom this is entirely new and different and strange. Listen, friend, there are two destinies to time, to life, to your soul. There are only two. There's a real heaven in this Bible, and there's a real hell. And if you were to say to me tonight, how do you know that? How do you know there's a real heaven and a real hell? How do you know this is true that there'll be a great judgment day? How do you know that? I'll tell you how I know it. Do you want me to tell you? Simply? This is the Word of God. It proves itself to be the Word of God. Do you know that before the Lord Jesus was ever born by eight centuries, by ten centuries, there were hundreds of events in His birth and life, His words, His suffering, His rejection, His death, even his burial. In fact, we are told seven centuries before the cross ever happened that two rich men would bury the Lord Jesus. Did you know that? How did David know a thousand years before the cross that soldiers down at the foot of the cross would divide his garments among them and that they would actually gamble for that one vesture that they could not tear apart? How did David know that? He wrote it a thousand years. Yes, that's in, that's in the Bible of Israel. It's there. And it was written a thousand years before Christ ever came. Do you, do you explain that? How? It's God. This is the Word of God.
But I have another very solemn reason for believing it tonight. You know, God tells us what that reason is in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. God says he has given assurance that this is true. God has appointed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men. What is the assurance? He has raised Christ from the dead. Oh, we believe in the risen Christ. Do you know that there's no event of history that has more infallible proofs to back it up than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? I was a student of history. I thought many times that what I was reading was maybe kind of questionable. And uh, I, I have learned in the years since that it is even more questionable than I thought then. But here's a fact of history. Here's an event that really took place. How do we know it? We have witnesses who laid down their lives for what they saw, for the testimony they gave. They were willing to die for it, and they did die. Christ is risen. Christ is alive. He died in shame on the cross. He was buried in Joseph's tomb, but he rose again the third day from the dead. And God has given assurance to us that this is true because Christ is risen. This is the day when Christendom professes to remember his resurrection. Well, I can tell you there is a living Christ. He truly rose from the dead. This is a white throne. It is great. It is great because of who sits upon it. It is great because of those who will stand before it. But it is great because of its holiness. I don't know, I don't know really how I can preach this as it ought to be preached. God is holy. God hates sin. God is absolutely just. He's absolutely righteous. Sometimes in this world, I've heard college and university students say um, a statement like this, uh, will anything ever be right? I can understand a person thinking like that in our world. So many things are not right. So many things are wrong. Will anything ever be right? Yes, there will be a day when things are made right. It is a white throne. It is the display of God's absolute holiness, that he is a God of infinite justice and truth. And that throne is a white throne. And the one who sits upon it, from his face, the earth and the heaven flee away. I think that the very fact that that was the face that men spat upon is staggering. Can you believe this? That creatures of our world dared to spit on the face of the Creator. They mocked Him. They rained blows upon Him. They so marred Him that His face was unrecognizable as a man. They took iron rods and they beat Him. They lashed his back until it was ripped and torn like a plowed field. They put together a crown of cruel thorns. And they put that wreath of thorns on the brow of the Savior and beat it into his head with a rod. And the Lord Jesus, the Maker, He who is the Creator of heaven and earth, was nailed to a cross by wicked men. 
David wrote a thousand years before the cross, they pierced my hands and my feet. It's very interesting that David says he was pierced. Because the word pierced means to go right through. Not just to make a wound, but to pierce through from side to side. They pierced his hands. They pierced his feet. You know why I'm telling you this? Because from that very face that men spat upon, that very face that was so marred, bleeding, bruised, from that face of august majesty, the heavens and the earth will flee from his very face. This is staggering to me, but the Christ who sits on that great white throne, the man that God has ordained to be the judge, he hung on the cross. He was lifted up on Calvary. And now he's lifted up on this throne of judgment. And he bears in his body the wounds of the cross. I wonder what that, what that will be like. Is there a boy here tonight who has heard the gospel all his life? Is there a girl here who has often thought about her need of being saved? What do you think it will be like to meet that one who will still bear in his body the marks that men left there at Calvary, the wounds in his hands and feet, the spear wound in his side, that blessed Savior. And he's there as a witness against you. You see, we are told that sinners will be made to stand. What an awful thing it will be to have to stand before God. I, uh, I would say that... Uh, There'll be no choice. You won't have any escape. There'll be no hiding place. There'll be no shelter. You will have to stand before the judge to be judged for your sins. Oh, you say, I'm not a very bad person. I haven't committed many sins. You know, in the Bible, there are three kinds of righteousness. Do you know that? In the Bible, there are three different kinds of what is right. Righteousness is the word that is used so often. Do you know what the first kind of righteousness is? It's man's righteousness. And it says in Isaiah 64 and 6, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Is there someone here tonight that feels that you have good things that you could bring to God and say, I have tried my best. I have done all I could. Uh, I have tried to be kind, to be compassionate, to be generous. I have tried to be pure. I have tried to be right. You know what God says it is? Are you listening? 